You know what I did last night? What? I took one of those IQ tests online from oh, like that we were just talking about Mensa.org or something. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I don't know, like I got the results I expected. I was like 88 and Oh my gosh, no, you need to try a different one. No, that's like the IQ test. That's what everyone told me. They're like, no, you'd be higher. You're you're so smart. You've you're higher. Be higher. No. So because I I've, just took my IQ test at work and, and I was like flabbergasted. What were you? 139. Well, so see, you're super smart. You're, no, but I felt like my score should have been like 70. No. I don't know what I was expecting. No. Well, and th- this is the thing is like with those IQ tests, like I, I took it. Me and Summer were sitting there last night and she was like, I don't want to take this. I don't want to know how dumb I am. And I'm like, I'll take it. I know how dumb I am. Uh, (laughs) I don't think it has anything to do with it. Well, I don't either. We went in separate rooms and she got 105 and I got 88. And then you look at the graph and like 80 to 100 is like average. Average. I'm on low average. I don't believe it. And Summer's like, just just so you know, that's... you know, I'm I like, think we should all take the paid version. So we're not, did you have like a bunch of pop-up blockers and things you had to adjust? No, no, nothing. Oh, okay. And I fully expected mine to be what it was because growing up in elementary school, I was in special ed classes, like mm-hmm. for reading deficiency, math and all that stuff from like first grade all the way up to like fourth grade. Yeah. And so I was like, I'm probably going to be where Forrest Gump is at. No, I don't think it has anything to do with that. But I literally was like sitting there. I was like, so many people put so much weight on that. Because I've been talking to to people all day about it. They're like, no, you're not. You're not in the 80s. You got to be in the hundreds. I'm like, no, that makes sense that I'm in the 80s because I have a super hard time learning. So, and I've gotten real good grades throughout junior high, high school, every uh, other learning avenue I've taken from, I did some college courses, accredited courses, things like that. But I know that I have a hard time learning. So I expected to get that type of score. It just makes me, when I go into a learning environment, I have to be more aware that this is going to suck. So I study harder and apply myself harder. And it makes me succeed more. But then like I got on Google because I was just interested, like, okay. And I typed in 88 IQ score and all the responses on like people's reddits and things were so sad. People Mm -hmm. like, oh my God, I'm in the eighties. I'm stupid. I'm never going to become anything. I don't think that has anything to do. I might just be with how you learn. When I took my IQ test, I felt I got done before the necessary allotted time and I was just staring at it thinking I must have done something wrong, but Mm -hmm. it really was because it was in written form and visual aid. If I had to take a test that was spoken or without note taking, I guarantee the score would be different because everybody learns different. Well, mine was all just, it was all pattern recognition and stuff like that. And so, I mean, I didn't like... To me, I was like, it's... Fun. I'm going to send you a different one and have you take it and see what you... <laughs> it pops up at like 63. <laughs> like, no, oh, shit. It pops up like 172. It's like, we want to offer you a job. No, no. <laughs> and But it it didn't even like hurt my feelings or make me feel dumb or anything. No, but I, I was should. just so flabbergasted at how many people... Because I talked to a bunch of people at work today. told them I took an IQ 
uh, test and told them my score. And they're like, like, so surprised. I'm like, I'm not surprised by that. And then I ask them, did you take one? Oh, no, that stuff scares me, man. Yeah. I'm like, why? Like, yeah. it's a simple test. It does, it's not your have all be all get it. Like, if you get low IQ yeah. score, you're going to fail at life. But I was just so surprised at how many people had the same type of reaction of like, I don't, I don't want to know. And yeah, things like that. I was like, it's not definite. Like it's not defining who you are. No, but we do that nowadays as a society. Yeah. Society. It's like, everything's like, you remember Forrest Gump Mm -hmm. um, and where he scores really low and she's like, no, my damn kid. But he ended up having a very successful life and made millions and millions of dollars. I mean, fictitious character, but I think that's the point that they were putting across. Mm -hmm. And then I was watching interstellar. Have you seen interstellar? I don't think I have. It's a really good movie. And also in that, uh, they do IQ tests on both of his kids and it's one kid becomes younger and they're like, well, he's going to just be a farmer. And he's like, you're not going to define my kid, my child by one test score. Right. And I think it just puts out there that, if you score low on something, it just means you need to work harder in life. Yeah, I think that too. When we were in high school and they gave us SAT, I would do anything to miss the SAT. I'd miss it on purpose. I'm not taking this test. It's what's the point? I already know I'm not going to college. I know that's not what I want to do with my life. You're mace, you're making me waste 90 minutes of my time to do something that I don't think I'll succeed at. And I never, I don't know what my SAT score would have been. I never went. Oh, you never took it? No, it was like second second lunch, man. I didn't know that. No, I couldn't sit down and do it. And I was scared of the result. Like, does this, not that I thought at 17 years old, this result might define something that I could do in the future because I really just didn't have that in my mind yet at that age, but I couldn't do it. I missed every single one, every single practice test. I didn't do any of it. Hmm. That's interesting. I didn't know you didn't do the SATs. I did the SAT and then that other test they make you take to graduate high school, like the, I want to say CRT, but that's choose the right. <laughs> CTR. <laughs> or, or yeah, CTR. No, it is another abbreviation, but I don't recall what it's called either. Yeah. ACT. ACT. That's, yeah, no, that's the test you have to either. take. No, you had to I probably that one. did in the score probably made me feel horrible but it's well you got your high school diploma so you passed because yeah. <laughs> then they would have made you retake it i know i was looking at my high school senior graduation report card the other day and i was shocked that i graduated with like a 3-0 considering the amounts of f's and d's my senior year really yeah because up until that point they were my grades were fine yeah i i went back through so we got done we were watching backdraft uh, like three nights ago. And oh, I was like, right. I was so like interested. I was like, man, I have done a lot for being 33 years old. Mm-hmm. And so I went back through and I don't have a degree, but I have tons of certificates from the fire Academy being an EMT. I'm doing a bunch of stuff with the health department, like letters of recommendation and all this stuff. And I'm like, I need to start doing education again. Cause I think I really, I was a super big go-getter from like 18 out of high school to like 26 and then Mm -hmm. I kind of just got comfortable in my career and started climbing that career ladder but I was like man I haven't really taken any advantage so I learned that my career uh they will they don't pay for college but they have all these accredited courses you can take Mm -hmm. that they'll pay for so I'm going to start doing those because construction has 
some things that are similar than that. They won't pay for our education, but they will pay for certain certificates that make you more advanced in your area. So I have a few of those, but I don't have any college credit. Yeah. I never even applied to college. And I find that so interesting. Me and you, uh, and anyways, welcome to Keyhole Conversations. <laughs> <laughs> this conversation's already been going for nine minutes. Um, my sister's on the show today, and uh, I kind of wanted to pick her brain on a couple things, but you're 86. That's your, your, you were born. Yeah. And so that makes you 37. Mm-hmm. I'm 33. I was born in 90. So we have a little bit of a gap in age. Like I was always coming up through as you were leaving. Like mm-hmm. I came in elementary school and you were getting out. I came in junior high. You were getting out. I came yeah. in high school. You were already out. And our parents growing up, we have different moms, same dad. Mm-hmm. And I feel like they didn't push education very hard on us. Like Not they. At all. It was like we kind of pushed ourselves in Mm -hmm. school to get good grades and things. I never remember them having like a college fund. I remember my grandpa was supposed to have a college fund for me or something. Where the hell that money went, I have no idea. Yeah, same story. But it was like we we got through school, we graduated, and out of school, we just went straight into the workforce. Yeah, we were both in the workforce well before the allotted age of our state. I mean, uh, we uh, both worked a lot before the legal age that was allowed. Uh, when did you actually start working? What was your first job? 14 and a half. Where were you working at? Right aid. Right aid. That's right. Yeah. Cause you started working with my mom. Yeah. And she lied on my application said I was 16 <laughs> so I could work. Yeah. So and- they could fill the shift at the store. Gotcha. And I started working. I remember spending some days there with you guys. Like I would come help sweep the store and stupid Mm -hmm. little things like that at like age 10. Or fuck around in the office on the computer, like playing (laughs) Playing games and stuff. The basic games that come in the computer. That's so true. But then I entered the workforce technically at 16, but I started working at a guitar shop at 13 Mm -hmm. just for store credit and trade. So we, I think growing up, we had a uh, well, so my mom, she would go through periods where she would work and then not yeah. work and then would work. Yeah, it was like what was required of her at the time. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember quite what your mom was doing during your elementary and junior high and high school ages. Was she working? I don't know. Honestly, I do know that the job she's at now, I'm super proud of her. She's been at Thiokol, um, Northrop Grumman for 18 or 19 years she's coming up on her pension payout and retirement and that's been a big success in her life but prior to that I don't recall a career choice of hers Mm -hmm. just simply because we weren't together yeah you you didn't spend as much time with your mom growing up from your childhood and there's reasons to that but um the one thing I will say is our parents and I'm just going to refer to my mom as your mom for this purpose of this conversation so it doesn't get too confusing. Yeah. But neither one of them pushed education too hard or any no. expectations of us. But we did have a dad who was very, um, he was a high school dropout. Mm-hmm. He dropped out at 15 from Viewmont High. Mm-hmm. But he also, I didn't ever like 
look at that as like a failure on his end. Like, yeah, he probably should have got his high school degree, but he did instill a really good work ethic in us, I believe. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I, your mom also dropped out of high school when she was 16. And I would say that there was some kind of work ethic that they instilled in us. The past couple of weeks, I've really been thinking about us and our parents and also thinking about the credit that I don't think we've given our grandparents. Because when I look back on people that work hard in my life, those are the people that worked hard. I mean, your grandpa Alvin worked his ass off. Mm -hmm. My grandma and grandpa both worked their asses off. And that could have a little bit to do with why we work so hard because we saw their successes because they were all successful and it's different when we look at our parents now and try to define success or why we work so hard and try to say that our dad our dad did work very very hard but he's not the sole contributing factor to why we have the work ethic we have and I've only recently come to that conclusion yeah same here I was uh talking with Summer about this a little bit and I was like you know my parents I didn't realize how absent they were in my upbringing especially during like elementary school and um, I would say from like kindergarten to sixth grade I remember that they would my grandparents would pick me up from school and take me back to their house yeah and my grandpa was always not that he I don't believe he like super pushed like college on me or anything like that, but he was very um, adamant about start saving for retirement, Mm -hmm. get into a career that has a pension, put money away, save money. And that helped kind of because that helped lay like a foundation of like not what job I was going to get or anything like that, but to save money because he always he always used this phrase of manana. Like if you wait too long till the end of your retirement yeah. and you don't plan that and we're both fully seeing that with our father, yeah, you don't, you're screwed. You're so screwed. Yeah. And I, I started really realizing that I wish I could go back. Like I cut my grandparents out of my life basically in my early twenties because that was the divorce of our uh, parents at the time they divorced and um, I stayed out of that because I didn't want to be drug any farther than I already was into that drama of a divorce with where parents I don't think should ever try to make you take sides. I felt like both my mom and dad were like, you need to take my side or you need to take my side. And luckily I was an adult by then. I was like, I'm not taking either one of your sides because you both royally screwed up a lot. You both are shitty. Mm-hmm. And that was a really shitty position for you to be in. And I feel like they also picked me up and stepped up and were really kind to me as a step grandchild. And I, I owed them a lot more kudos than I ever gave them. But I did the same thing when the divorce happened. I kind of just stayed away from everybody because it made our family play such sides and create such characters and gossip and It just wasn't healthy. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time I think I ever tried to break a cycle of something was just like, I'm not going to entertain this. I am grown enough to know that this is not something that's supposed to be happening and that we can be better. Yeah, exactly. And I also, I give credit to our parents referring to your, she would have been your stepmom at the time and dad in 
I got a visual representation of what not to do in life. I would agree with that. Because they made so many mistakes. Like, yes, we always had a roof over our head. But I think a lot of that was due to not them, but us pushing them. I would remember finding like mortgage statements that my mom would hide where she was behind on the mortgage or our power is going to be turned off or something like that. I was like, why isn't this paid? You know, I don't want to be homeless. I don't want to not have the lights on in the house. And her money management skills were horrendous. And same with our father's. Yeah, I would say her money management skills were definitely horrendous, but dad's blind eye to me was just as big of a problem because there's no reason you should continue working as hard as you work every day to find out that you don't have money and for your kids to have to come inside and say, the water guy's outside, we have 48 hours to pay this bill, and then her have to go get a cashier's check or a post-dated check or go to Walmart or go to check city and take out a loan and then never pay it back and go to collections. And it's just like, where did that money go initially? Because the deposit was always there. Mm -hmm. The check was immediately cashed and then groceries were paid for. But a lot of other things that you and I know now as an adults take priority before you get to the groceries. You pay your mortgage payment before you buy your groceries. And they just were never that way. No. And I, I, Definitely think my mom was funding her drug habit with money and hiding that. And like, I would have never guessed that as in junior high or high school. And I think I selectively turned a blind eye because I didn't want to believe either one of our parents had addiction problems, but both of them fully had addiction problems. Our dad was, he never would go to work drunk. But when he He's came a functioning home, alcoholic. yeah, was full on. First thing in his hand was a beer. And he would just, drink beer at lunch at work. Go to the he? Maverick and buy two cans of beer and drink them on his lunch with his sandwich. Oh, so I, I never even knew that. That's crazy. Yeah. See things that you find out through conversations like this. <laughs> yeah. He, he was really good at it. He would drink his coffee until the coffee, till he wanted something counter temperature or fridge temperature, the keystones on the counter. Yeah. And he would drink that. And then every once in a while, if we were having a rowdy night or we had friends over, they would drink heavier booze. And he's always been a functioning alcoholic, which shocks me now that that's not the thing that he's trying to run to. But he definitely would not steer away from it if given to him. He just doesn't have the capacity right now. Yeah. Like the income and the funds to go there. Yeah. And that's that's where I have to really applaud you is because... And it's, it's so weird that later in life, due to their inaction, you're basically taking care of our father. Monetarily, you provide him with, but you don't just give him cash. You get him groceries and stuff because... Absolutely not. Yeah, no, no cash. Yeah, because <laughs> you're not stupid. You're like, I know where this... If you give him money, you know where it might end up. Right. So he, it's almost like we have... You more so than me have become a parent of the parent. I feel like we both parented our parents for a long time, though. I feel like you parented our parents and so did I at a really young juvenile age. There was no accountability or no responsibility there until it was an emergency. And the only reason anyone knew it was an emergency is because the kids were pissed that the adults weren't adulting. Mm -hmm. And that's really shitty, but 
that was the reality of the situation of how we grew up and how they continued to live their lives until now. Yeah. And I remember you moved in with, uh, you moved in with us. Wasn't I like four, three or four? Yeah. I moved in when I was eight and just started third grade. I moved in with you guys full time. Yeah. And that was, was that due to, I just asked dad, can I live live with you? And dad, I, you know, there was probably a lot more said than that back and forth between my two parents, but Mm -hmm. you know, it just came down to doing better in school and being in what I thought at the time is a better environment, which it was a better environment. And it just, it happened very quickly. We went to court one day and they switched their parental right roles opposite. And I went to live with dad and went to my mom's supposed, I was supposed to go to my mom's every other weekend. And that didn't happen. Not often. Yeah. I kind of remember that. And it's, that's odd for you because that's usually not the role you see, especially nationwide. It's usually the child stays with the mother. Yeah. And I've been trying to think back because I've been doing a lot of reflection lately and like really looking at why am I the way I am with certain things? Like, like I have major trust issues, not when it comes to like moral obligations of people of me, but like monetarily, I am so like, I don't let anyone in my finances. And either I, I'm 37 years old. I've never shared a bank account with a single person. Yeah. And I say I did have a joint account with my wife at the time, mm-hmm. but I, she had no control over that. <laughs> I was like, no, I you will. were building I, her credit. Yeah. I would, I, I will do the bills and she didn't mind. And I think she's seen that I was very fiscally responsible because I had seen the consequences of not being fiscally responsible. Yeah. I, and I remember coming out of uh, high school and starting to figure out what credit scores and things were. And back then, um, the credit agencies weren't as smart, air quotes, because I would get things attached from dad's credit yeah. because his first name and last name are so similar to mine where his is Mark Swainston and I'm Marcus Swainston. Mm-hmm. I had to fight like, or uh, dispute like four things at 18 years old. I remember like I had a, what do they call those? Um, a lien on me from Rocky mountain power <laughs> at like, I wasn't even 18. I was like, how can this happen? Yeah. And they're like, Nope, that's you. I'm like, Dude, I just barely graduated high school because I graduated early and was out of mm-hmm. there. But I was like, what? And luckily, I haven't had that happen for quite a while. Yeah. But I also seen that stuff affect me <clears throat> into my adulthood. I had two from your mom when really? I was 17 and 18. She took my W-2 out of the mailbox and went and did my taxes in H&R Block and cashed my refund. Really, And that was in the transition time between filing online and filing in person. And I also filed my taxes. Oh, so you filed. So when twice. I turned 19 years old, um, we had a mutual friend whose dad worked for West Jordan City in the political side. And he had a guy that did taxes on the side named Mike. And I was working at Holiday at the time. And I kind of told him the circumstance. He came in every day. I always gave him his coffee. And he said, I can go back and look at that for you. And he brought me back a bunch of paperwork, copies from H&R Block, and she had forged my signature. Oh, wow. And I had to pay all that money back. Yeah. I had to say a similar thing, not not that she um, filed my taxes or anything, 
But I remember at 16, I really wanted a car. She's like, oh, I'll sell you the Dodge Stratus. Yeah. And I was like, okay, how much? Because I was, I was working. I was getting paid cash now, not store credit. So I was giving her $200 a month. And I did that for almost... It, the the agreed amount on the car was like, you'll pay $2,000. So I had to do $200 a month for a year. And like month eight came around. Uh, dad's Jeep thing that he was driving around broke down. He's like, well, I'm taking the car. I was like, wait, I only have two more payments. So that's mine. He's like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. I was like, mom didn't tell you this. He's like, nope. And I need the car. So have fun getting your money back from her. Yeah. When we lived in our house on... The one on the cross street by Katie and Jared. Uh, Par Drive. Or no, 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 yeah. McGinnis Lane. McGinnis. When we lived on McGinnis and I was working at Rite Aid, I was like 15 years old. I started paying $300 a month at 15 years old for this to help with the second mortgage payment because I was making money. I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't have a car. And I, here's, you know. Mm-hmm. And then we were like $12,000 behind on it. And I'm like, I've been giving you guys $300 a month. So dad finally, I started driving down to Western Union with cash, getting a check in Western Union, Union, 18% interest, the second mortgage company. Yeah. Sent from 16 to 22 so that I made sure it was getting paid the whole time, not knowing they weren't paying the first mortgage and it didn't fucking matter. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. And I've, in this like reflection that I've been doing back to our childhood, and figuring these things out, it's it's funny how much how much uh, you start to see how they shaped our ways in through negativity. But we had two paths laid out in front of us. One was take the path that you've learned how to be financially irresponsible and follow that same path and end up just like them. But we took the high road and we ended up doing everything that they didn't do because right. we fully knew what the consequences were. I mean, I I look back now and I wonder why I'm such a hypochondriac and why I'm so scared of like doctor's offices and stuff. And I attribute it to this one time that my mom had, um, I had this like infection in my gums and she had this stupid water pick thing mm-hmm. and she was trying to like, Oh, I remember it. Get this item out of my teeth. And I remember her, like I was crying. I was like, Hey, this hurts. Why? Let's just, I want to go to a doctor or something. And she's like, well, if we go to the doctor and we don't get this out, you're going to die. And that just like sizzled in my brain and imprinted on me, like branded in my brain that doctor's offices equal death. (laughs) So now as a 33 year old, I've been trying to use therapeutic means to correct that that way and when i'm in the doctor's office my blood pressure isn't 160 over 90 because they freak me out so bad and i've been getting better at healing that um do you remember a pivotal point where our childhood took a huge change because i think i was more sheltered from it being younger but i do remember at one time Annette had come over, who's our dad's sister, or she was living with us or something. And my mom had had tried or was threatening suicide or something like that. I don't recall that at a time when Annette lived with us. 
But I do recall multiple instances where that happened and it always revolved around her getting caught in financial trouble or dad finding out. Mm-hmm. She would just be, I'll end it then instead of finding a way to solve the problem or call someone or find the money or call, you know, it was just always like, well, I'll just kill myself instead of being like, Hey, I have a problem. I need to get help, which is still never been admitted, nor I do. I think it will honestly. No, I have tried so many times in having conversations with her to, and I just like, I love my mom because she's my mother. But at the same time, I see through all her manipulation and I realize how she manipulated things so bad in our childhood. And I would love to sit down with both of them and have a conversation of, do you guys realize that through these acts, you kind of screwed both of us up a little bit? But Mm -hmm. I don't think there would ever be the accountability there. I don't think there would be any accountability or even an apology. And I don't think they would have grace enough to understand where we were coming from in that conversation. I think that's why we probably lean on each other more for these type of feelings and validate each other because we're never going to get the validation that we need or that we think we need from our parents. We're not going to get that from them. They are who they are. I've resided to the fact that this is our life and this is our current journey with those parents and your relationship with your mom is your current journey. And this relationship that we're have with dad is just ultimately what it is going to be. And it's taken me a long time to get here, but that doesn't mean that I don't get sad or resentful or angry sometimes because, you know, it, it it is really easy for me to get sensitive every single year since I was, 22 till I'm 37 now and in 15 years dad hasn't remembered my birthday is why do you pick 22 I remember when I bought my house he bought me a four pack of light bulbs for my birthday for my new house well that was it and I was like this is fucking nuts bro he walked down the street with a couple cold beers and some lights that I know were probably under his sink and was like happy birthday congrats on the house and I was 22 years old oh god And I don't remember, I don't know who told him it was my birthday, but I'm pretty sure he didn't remember it on his own. And he's never remembered my birthday since without a reminder from someone. Yeah. And even now, if I ask him when my birthday is, his answer religiously is September 22nd. I don't know if that day means something to him somewhere in some other time, but it's not my birthday. Mm -hmm. And to me, it's just funny. Last year, I called him on September 22nd. And asked him when my birthday was. And he goes, I don't think it's today. I'm like, well, (laughs) you're right. It's not. But it's the day you always says you always say it is. Yeah. I always I've been looking back as well. And I think we live two different childhoods. I get I got the uh, he's the younger blah, blah, blah. And I where they didn't push any um, education on us or anything like that. But they very much supported my hobbies way more than they supported any of yours I feel like when I expressed interest in guitar they bought me a guitar yeah and I remember for uh my 16th 
Christmas, he had bought this Jackson guitar for me, mm-hmm. which was super nice and was amazing. And but then Is I it the one with the skulls on yeah, it. Yeah, the skulls yeah. on it. That one. I then, I remember him and I trying to sneak into the guitar store when you weren't working mm-hmm. or practicing or teaching someone. To yeah. Ask Adam like which one's the one. And and that was like so surprising to me that he did that. But I don't remember that very vividly with you i think you always took a back seat in that yeah i don't recall i don't recall any christmas or birthday gift that has significance to me now like i i couldn't tell you anything they've ever bought me yeah that's that is the only one that i remember well and your guitar before that your little starter kit thing mm -hmm, i remember that Mm -hmm. the really expensive jackson and then he also bought me my first camera, and that was at like age 22. Mm-hmm. And I believe he was with Anita at that time, so I think she yeah. had a lot to do with that as well. Yeah, I do remember. Uh, I was actually listening to your podcast about your Zion trip, and it sparked a couple memories for me when you were talking about what your favorite Christmas was. And I was thinking in my mind, like, what was my favorite Christmas? And I fully remember knowing way too young what the reality of Christmas is and that it's not some bearded sky wizard. And (laughs) you tried to sneak upstairs and we were sleeping downstairs in our milfoil circle house. And I had just finished putting your Batman and Robin tent together for dad because he just couldn't get it. Oh, really? And we heard you sneaking up the stairs and I ran down the stairs and was like, I was just coming to see if Santa had got the cookies and milk yet. And you're like, is he here? Is he here? And dad's trying to hide in the corner by this lamp. And I'm like, come on, we got to go back to bed. And we ran back downstairs. And you were so surprised in the morning that you got this little tiny like tent that had Batman and Robin and like a plastic floor in it and some action heroes. Hmm. You were so small. You were probably four or five. But at that point, I already knew that Santa wasn't real. But it was my favorite Christmas. That's a that's a very young age to come to that realization. Was that due to their parenting or were you just, it was no, your I just 130 IQ score? <laughs> <laughs> had nothing to do with my IQ score. I just knew at like six that Santa wasn't a thing. And so I tried my hardest for so long to make you believe it. Because like you said, it's the spirit of the holiday. It's like you feel it when you see kids feel it. Like mm-hmm. you get what it's about now that you're an adult. And I tried so hard for so long till you were like 11 years old to try to make you were like think this shit was real and then even when we were teenagers i would just tease you about like santa ain't coming for your ass tonight (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i probably lost my belief in santa the the major thing that did it for me is i was snooping around and i found all the gifts in the closet closet. when you're like at like age 10 or 11 right around there i was like okay this is a farce yeah but that that sucks for you because you kind of missed out on that magical moment, but then it was, it was kind of magical making you try to believe for as long as I did. Like, well, cause I didn't think our parents didn't give a shit when you found out, you found out, but I was fully like Santa forever. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. So, um, was there a pivotal moment in your childhood with growing up that has, stuck with you as so traumatic and shaped you in a way that you are today? There's a couple that I can think of. Um, I can use 
our parents as an example or other family members as an example of things that I cannot forget. Mm-hmm. Um, with your parents, I remember the last time a letter got stuck to the garage that we were going to lose the house and I had come home from work early um, with the person I was dating at the time and we went to open the garage and saw something duct taped to it and it was a letter and I had it in my hand and she met me at the garage door and was like, give me that. And I finally had enough and was like, no. And I walked straight in the house. Dad got off early on Fridays. Mm-hmm. I walked straight in the house and handed it to him. And I felt like World War Three had just started. I think I remember that. I think and I remember coming from home from school. I, you came home from school and you were promptly asked to leave. Yeah. I had you leave with your friend Dustin at the time. I was like, you can't be here. This It's too late. Like, go hang out with your friends, do band practice, do whatever. You can't be here. And she started going ballistic, just throwing things. A glass birdhouse in the kitchen ha- was like at my head and broken everywhere. And she picked up a plate of food and threw it at dad. And at the time, the person I was dating was such a pussy. They jumped out of the basement window and went and hid in the shed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That's not, it's not funny, but it kind of is. I, I almost wonder if I would have done this. I, I mean, it's not their trauma, right? Yeah. So, and I'm just like, what the fuck is wrong with you guys? What is wrong with you? And I remember she went upstairs to her room that was across the hall from dad's room. Yeah. And they weren't even sleeping in the same room. They didn't sleep in the same room. And she grabbed a whole bottle of her pills and came downstairs with it and was like, I'm just going to end it. The same story that happened every time. And she put them all in her mouth and I'm standing there looking at her like, first of all, you need some water. If you're really going to do it, that's a shitty thing to think, but I know it's for show. Mm Mm-hmm. And then I was like, I wish you would fucking grow up. And she spit them all on me. Oh, God. And then she ran into the garage and got in the car and left without her pills, without her shoes, without her purse, nothing. Had her cigarettes and she left. And I remember crawling around the kitchen in the living room trying to find every single pill so our dog wouldn't die. Minnie at the time. Was it Minnie? Yep. Or was it Chevy? No. Yeah, we had Chevy at the time. Okay. And I was looking everywhere. I'm like, fuck, like, I don't give a shit about anything else right now. This dog is going to, puppy's going to eat this shit. And dad just sat there and opened another beer, opened the back door, let some fresh air in. And she was gone. And she never fucking came back until she came to get her stuff. Yeah. I I remember when I finally got home. No, I had got a phone call from my mom and it Mm -hmm. was, I'm going to paraphrase and but the, the thing she said is they kicked me out. And I was mm-hmm. like, at that time too, I had gotten sick of the manipulation. I was like, no, you kicked yourself out. Yeah. Like no one's kicked you out. You're doing the, it's not my fault. Mm-hmm. And throwing out those, like you said, suicide when you fully knew she wasn't going to do that. And she's always been so mentally unstable that even now when I see her, I just wonder like, what came from her childhood that made her like that or what what instance i fully remember when my mom changed as a person she always had these tendencies to manipulate lie deceive Mm -hmm. 
But my biggest one was when she was diagnosed with that RSD or whatever that yeah. neurological disease. Reflex sympathy dystrophy RSD. Mm-hmm. And they then, they later changed the name, but that it, was the initial. And that was also during the time where uh, narcotics were being prescribed like candy yeah. to people. The opioid crisis had just started. Mm-hmm. And I think she she got so hooked on those with her addiction. She was, I will say it is my belief, she was really good to get other people hooked on those as well. Yeah. No, I don't doubt it. And I know exactly who you're referring to. Yeah. And you probably have a lot of resentment. Two people have passed away since then and a third I watched do it with her yeah and then I realized the reality of the situation was you get to a point in injury or a point in disease where addiction takes control of you because I mean she was always addicted before that had happened she was always addicted to other substances prior to that and it's really unfortunate that it took something so painful for her which was a reality um to take her down an even darth like darker path of substance abuse where you take that community of people who also abuse and make them a priority because mm-hmm. you all get your things on different days and people have different amounts and it was really hard to see and to digest that as a reality but for us it was normal There was pill bottles everywhere all the time for no, everywhere. Yeah, it was a pharmacy with different people's names on them and everything like that. And I always remember uh, dad's addiction was alcohol Mm -hmm. for the most part. And it was very visible to me. Yeah. But I never equated my mother's addiction. I've never once seen her do methamphetamine or anything like that. But it's been put out there by uh, our father that she was addicted to that substance which I fully believe because the way I would see her teeth and things like that. Are you going to snip at this? Snip. <laughs> this podcast? Are you going to trim it at all? No. Oh. I never trim any of my podcasts. Just wondering. I was going to. I know someone who used to provide your mom with that. Well, that's. This is. So now you're not just hearing it from dad because sometimes that source is what it is. Well, but it's true. Yeah. And I, I fully believe that she was and maybe still is. And I remember she would always have these shady friends as well that would come over, hang out for a little bit, and then they would stay up forever. And I have, uh, now being an adult, I remember her and, uh, uncle Mm -hmm. at the time would disappear into a room. Yeah. And then when they would come out, they would be like wired. We're ready. Yeah. And I'm Speedballing. like, oh, what are you guys doing in yeah. there? Like as a kid, I didn't know they're having some conversation. Even in junior high, I was like, oh, I don't know. They're going in there to talk. But as an adult, I'm like, I know f- what you yeah. guys were doing in there. Yeah. It took me a long time to pick that up. Even looking back now at people who were their friends at the time, it's hard to think of how blind you are to it as a child because you don't want to you think those things you don't want to believe those things about your family and it's hard to think back about certain scenarios that stand out now or things we were doing like them disappearing into a room and you think that's normal and they're talking about like balancing their checkbook Mm -hmm. that's not what they're talking about but we don't figure that out until later yeah later in life and 
my uh, my little point was dad's addiction was straight in our face. Mom's addiction was hidden. Very much so. And so, but she would always make it about dad's addicted to this. Dad's an alcoholic. Your dad's this, your dad's that. And I'm like, you both were fully addicted. And it was, again, one of those manipulation tactics. Yeah. And she was really good at trying to turn one parent against the other. Mm -hmm. At least in my experience, it was like, wait till your dad gets home and wait till I tell your dad and I'm going to tell dad what a little bitch you're being and you can go back and live with your mom and I don't even know why you're here. We don't get child support for you. What the fuck's wrong with you? Like, you know, the, the list of things she would say to get me angry just because I was, I'll tell the truth. I don't think what you were doing in there was right. I think you're being shady. I don't think you're paying the bills. I'm not giving you any more money. You can walk to the fucking store. Like, I'm not supporting you or any potential habit that I think you may or may not have. Yeah. And to realize that when you're 15 years old is shitty. Yeah. And I had to come to that realization a little later in life. But I do remember through her mishaps and her mistakes and her life problems, always manipulating it. But then I don't. How do I say this without sounding like a total asshole? I don't believe dad was good either because he would do this thing where like so if someone was to screw up my finances as bad as she would i would never put that person in charge of my finances again right it's like not firing a bad lawyer yeah or maybe but on limited means till she could prove herself but time and time and time again he would just revert back to okay you do the bills okay and i don't know if it was out of sheer laziness to where he could just ignore that stuff I know he worked long hours and things, but I'm like, through your inaction and enabling this person to continue to do this, you have to take accountability for that as well. Yeah. And there was never really consequences Mm -mm. to it. There was just like the list of family members that we've already called to bail us out. Where are we at on the list and who are we going to call next? Yeah. Like the first time we're going to call uncle so-and-so who has some money. The next time we're going to call your parents because they have some money. The next time we're going to call your sister because she has some money and then they get so far down on the list of fucking up and not taking accountability that they're out of people to call. And that's why they're in the position they're in now. Yeah. Which is unfortunate. Exactly. And my mom, lucky enough for her, found a man who must not trust her with any finances, but is in a relationship with her Mm -hmm. to where she has a stable place to stay from my knowledge yeah, um, and all this. But our father didn't ever really find that he had relationships after mm-hmm. the divorce, but those all, he always had relationships that I felt like I couldn't take serious. Mm-hmm. Like I was, what the hell is going on? Who is this person? And why did you move in with them in three weeks? Yeah, I think. Or who is this person and how have you just overnight created a new hobby that costs $10,000? Yeah. Like stuff like that. I just don't. And then obviously something led to the demise of that relationship and not to say any of us are perfect in relationships and we all haven't been through multiple relationships to get to where we are now. But it's it's unfortunate now that he has is spending the end of his life alone because of mistakes that he's made in his past. 
Well, I can tell you from my observations of our father that I think one of the things that has failed relationships time and time and time and time again with him is he has major anger issues that he has never sat down and solved. I mean, you he lets people get under his skin and instead of communicating that in a way that's healthy, he communicates it in a totally different way. Right. And he chooses to surround himself with what I would say is the same type of woman again and again and again. Yeah, I would agree. There's a definitely a pattern there of people that he chooses as partners. And I don't necessarily that in, think that in the beginning the intention is there to repeat a cycle, but it ends why wouldn't you? Yeah. If it's easy. I mean, I remember when he went and lived with his sister and we were both adults now with our own houses and everything. He got locked up mm-hmm. in jail and we literally had to bail him out. You had to I go was bail so, him out. Yeah, I was so mad. At first, when I got the phone call, I was excited. I was like, yes, which one of my friends is in jail? Bitch, this is going to be awesome. And then it said, you have a collect call from Beep. And it said dad's name. And I remember just turning into the Hulk. Like, yeah. you've got to be fucking kidding me. You are 62 years old. And to have, I, I mean, I've known a lot of people that have been in jail, but I've never had to go get a bond on someone and bail them out and pay money and make sure they go to court. Mm-hmm. And I, he told me to come and get him. And I went to go get him at 11 o'clock at night and they didn't let him out until 4.30 in the morning. And I was so goddamn pissed. I left him there and said, I'll come get you from jail after I get off work tomorrow. I can't make you a priority right now. And he got a cab, like a 1-800 cab. <laughs> To his apartment, which he wasn't allowed to be at, stole his car when he wasn't supposed to be there and drove it all the way to my house without his glasses on. Wow. And got there at about 530 in the morning and knocked on the door. And I opened the door and was like, you've got to be out of your goddamn mind. And he said, do you have any beer? Really? And I was like, well, you just been in the slammer for 16 hours. Yeah, I have beer, but I'm going to bed. And I got up at 630 in the morning, got ready for work and left him in the house. And was just like, fucking have a good day. Was that when you were still living at, uh, on par drive? No, when I was living on 80th. Oh, okay. That's right. Because then he moved in with me shortly thereafter. Yeah, he did. And then he stayed with me for a while with his, the person he was dating at the time. Mm -hmm. And then eventually we found a place he could live that he still lives at now yeah i've had two instances where he's lived with me one was after that and that that lasted for like three weeks and then when he had his stroke he lived with me for almost a year i think yeah it was a good long while after he had his stroke somewhere around there i think right when he had his stroke he stayed with me for six or seven weeks and then came to the conclusion he'd be more comfortable with you which is fine and then he moved in here and then we finally found him He finally, I got him signed up for social security and they finally agreed to pay a little bit early because of his diagnosis, his situation. He was still going to work at the time, um, but he ended up, what he says is getting fired. What his boss says was leaving and we went back and forth with him in his HR department. Well, by the time we got that all figured out and I had paid some things for him. Social security finally said yes. 
and he took his first opportunity to take social security at 62 and a half. Now he's 67. And I'm glad that they give yearly raises because without that, he wouldn't be able to afford his place now mm-hmm. because as we've had inflation, his apartment has inflated. Oh yeah. So it's as much as they're giving him extra every year is a, that's how much his rent's typically going up every year. So it's good. I mean, it's not good that that's the situation that he lives in, but it's good that at least now on his own at this age, he knows that when his deposit hits on the first Wednesday of the month, he has to walk down to the front desk and pay debit for his rent. And he does every month. Well, that's one good thing, I guess, that you can attest to in his old age. When he was living with me, I never thought there would be a time in my life where my adult parent would rely on me and live with me. And he did pay rent. I'm not going to say he got it out of scot-free, but it just turned into an utter nightmare because it was, he almost made it his house and like his rules. I was like, no, this is my house. You're living here. You're renting from me. Mm-hmm. Like you need to, and it wasn't a whole bunch of rent that he was throwing my way. Cause I was trying to get him back on his feet as well. Yeah. It was just basically to help with the lights and this and that. Um, or the Xfinity speed he needed for his computer chat. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's right. nothing insane. Um, but I, I mean, looking back at it, I feel like we raised ourselves to an extent that. that they did. I won't say that everything they did was horrible. There were moments where they were good parents. Yeah. I guess there were moments when they tried the best they could. Um with the addiction, substance, and abuse problems that they had. I never suffered physical abuse from my dad, but I did suffer physical abuse from my mom, and I know you did, and her go-to weapon was that stupid wooden spoon. All the time. And I remember the last time she... I was so proud of you this day. Yeah, she hit me with that thing, and I grabbed it from her, and she, like came at me like attacking me and I just pushed her and she fell down on the ground and she's like oh you push your mom now you're I was standing behind her in the doorway of your bedroom and she went to hit you so hard with that thing and you just caught it Mm mid-flight and instead of hitting her back with it you just kind of was like get off of me like get out of here and she kind of fell backwards and an NFL flop type fashion into the door. And I was right behind her and I was like, you've got to be kidding. Yeah. It was a very, and um, I was so pumped to be your sister that day. I was like, <laughs> he fucking did it for us. Like we just conquered a fucking castle. Right. I was like maybe she'll never hit us again. That wasn't true, but she I never hit me again. I'm sure. Yeah, I know she, she, she still hit me after that, but she never hit you again, which yeah. is all. I, I mean, I could have kicked her ass at any time. I'm five foot nine and 200 and something pounds. And she's, Five foot one and 95 pounds. pound. It It took a lot for me to not hit her back. I think you probably reserved that a lot more because you knew the damage that you could inflict on somebody. I just knew like you don't, you shouldn't, I don't want to go to jail. (laughs) Like I'm going to be the perpetrator here. Yeah. I don't want to put myself in that position. I mean, it finally got to the point where she had hit me in front of my friends. Like she didn't give a fuck. She was just like, you know yeah wham i'm like oh, okay whatever yeah exactly called her a bitch one time she hit me harder i was like <laughs> yeah, maybe i shouldn't have said that i said you're acting like a bitch you're not a bitch and she hit me so goddamn hard i was like oh okay and i was probably like 14 i granted i shouldn't have said 
that at that age. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't, you shouldn't say that at any time, but it, it was a reality check for sure. Like she don't give a fuck who's around. She's, she's going to do it anyway. Yeah, no, definitely. What do you, so giving this kind of insight on how chaotic our childhood could be and how much we almost had to raise ourselves. Because another thing is you didn't get this, but I didn't have any rules. They didn't care how late I was out. They didn't. I didn't really have any rules either. Yeah, it was weird. Except for like be home at midnight if you're with a dude and every minute you're late is you, you can either pay $10 every minute you're late or you can be grounded for a week. And I don't know how she came up with this cockamamie scheme, but I'd get <laughs> home at 12.07 and give her $70 so I wouldn't be grounded for a week. Really? Oh, yeah. I didn't know this. I'd pay to get out of grounding like motherfucker. Yeah, no. And I, then I would be like, can you go buy me a pack of Marlboro Red 100s? And she would with my own grounding money. Wow. So it was like, you got to pay the pipe. Like sometimes the devil's on your side. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I remember I got grounded once. The one time I remember being I was, grounded was for freaking marijuana, man. That was the best day, too. <laughs> I, I remember getting busted for this weed. Me and my friend at that time, we had snuck up to the high school. We were like 15, 16 years old, went in the dugout. This was like my second experience with marijuana, but the, I think it was the first time it actually hit me. And I climbed out of the dugout and I seen this white car coming up the road. I'm like, oh crap, it's the cops. Yeah. And then I was like, it got closer. I was like, that's a white Dodge Stratus. That's my mom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And, and me and dad were sitting on the back porch watching her drive around the high school, look for you guys. Cause she knew exactly what your intention was when you were leaving. Like she was some rent a cop going to find you guys. And me and dad were laughing so hard. Like he finally did it. He finally did something worth grounding. <laughs> and I remember dad just wanting to high five you as soon as she wasn't looking like he finally did something worth getting grounded over. Yeah, it was, it was quite the, uh, little experience i think i was grounded for like two hours in the garage mm-hmm. and I had to clean it and then i was off scot free yeah clean and organize the tools and then you could be done being grounded and you on the flip side you got a lot more groundings yeah the first time dad had to pick me up for um, a party i was grounded for three months yeah you and didn't they drug test you that night yeah and i failed miserably but, and dad tried to send me to rehab and was crying and crying and i'm just like listen didn't you fail for something that you hadn't even done? Yeah. I failed for marijuana, cocaine, and methamphetamine. And you hadn't touched co- cocaine? I didn't touch meth. Or meth. Or okay. Someone had laced a bowl of coke. I didn't know until oh. later. So I thought I was just smoking pot. And then it turned out that I was some big druggie and dad was losing his mind. Like, I thought I broke the cycle, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, dad, I didn't do it. I just smoked some pot. I drank some whiskey. You know, I made some stupid decisions and dad, I remember the door, someone knocked at the door. It was two or three in the morning and I'm bebopping around this house with these adults and older kids from school knowing I shouldn't have been there. And I'm like, I'll get it. And just went to the door super confident. Like I'll get it. Whoever's coming to the party, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I opened the door and it was dad. Oh my God. And I was like, no fucking way is this guy sober right now. (laughs) No fucking way he drove here to get me. Yeah. And he was like, get in the car. And I got in the car in the back seat. Him and your mom drove me home. They pull into the garage. I go to get out of the car. I can't. 
I like vaguely remember what's happening. I remember coming inside, crawling to my bedroom and not waking up for a day and a half. Really? And then them having a drug test on the counter in the bathroom. And I was like, where was I the spirit world? I was out for summer vacation. I have no concept of time. I don't know what day it is. And dad just told me, you're really lucky that party was in Kearns because someone got shot on the next street and all the cops were there. And I tried to get one of them to come bust this house party and they wouldn't. Really? And why do you think, why do you think he got so emotional seeing this positive drug test and all this stuff? Do you think, I don't know. Do you think he was like, oh no, my daughter's going to end up like me with addiction problems. <laughs> no, or- I don't know. And it really was like the first time I ever smoked pot. I had no idea that I was just like, oh, okay, yeah. Peppermint schnapps and some pot. I mean, <laughs> let's get loud. I'm 15 years old or 16 years old. And he was so upset. And I was like, dad, I, it was just a little pot. Like, I don't, you guys do it in the garage. Like, I don't understand what the problem is. Well, they smoked the weed that they confiscated from us yeah. when we got busted. Yeah. I remember my friend Trafton was like, my mom grabbed the weed from him. was like, took it away. And he's like, can I get that back? She's like, no. And then like they three weeks it. later, my dad was like, that was crappy pot, by the way. I was like, mm-hmm. what? You just, huh? <laughs> or even like two or three years later when all of a sudden some peyote shows up. Yeah. And we just sit there like a family, like who's going to do it? That's not normal when you're 15, 17 and 40. But I was like, let's fucking give it a rip. It did absolutely nothing for me. And you and dad were laughing and having the best time. And I was so upset that it it was just like smoking grass from the backyard. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. What would you attribute to the most from? Because we had this tumultuous. I'm not saying that right. Termote, what's the word? Tumultuous? Yes, that word. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lingual toroid. No one understands what those are. And I had to figure out late in life. Like, I remember trying to learn Spanish and I can't roll my R's or anything like that. I have this tumor that sits underneath my tongue on my jaw bone. So it's like, I will trip over words all the time. There's like words you can't say. Yeah. I just, I'm like, it doesn't, it will not come out. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, or it's my 88 IQ score. (laughs) (laughs) 88 IQ. But, um, what I was going to say, we, we had this very crazy childhood where I do remember high highs. Like I remember the jazz logo and all that stuff was a high highlight in my childhood. I do remember some good Christmases, but the bads definitely outweighed the good in our childhood. But the one thing that I can say is me and you both ended up being, yeah, that's it. She's holding up a picture right now of this. Uh, it's a Wasatch Parent magazine and we're on it. And there's me with my little toehead blonde hair and the little big finger jazz thing and you're right there in the background and Mm -hmm. a bunch of other kids and then at the very bottom it says to candace bless you antoine car big dog really yeah do you still have that yeah oh that's cool i just took a picture of it yesterday oh i thought that was like some old (laughs) no i just took it it's in my safe oh that's awesome i totally defaced the magazine because i just ripped the cover off of it and kept it forever but yeah that is really thinking about framing it and putting the basement downstairs yeah i know my mom has some 
thing from the Salt Lake Tribune that they gave her as well that was all like really nice framed and everything because mm-hmm. that made national news. Yeah. That was super cool. And I, I remember times of, I remember my dad vividly best experience with him was he took me out to the Salt Lake County landfill and he is very much how I am. He befriended, not anymore in his late age, but in his early age, that guy could make friends with anyone. He really could. And somehow he learned and became friends with this guy at the landfill and they let me drive around like a D10 bulldozer. That was before OSHA regulations were really <laughs> stringent. You're in there in shorts and flip-flops <laughs> driving a D10. Yeah, it's like a eight-year-old kid. I mean, the guy mm-hmm. was in the cab with me, but he was letting me fully I wonder if he knew him that. from Kennecott or something. He could have so, somehow. He always yeah. had these random weird friends. He had this guy that drove diesel trucks. He had this other guy, yeah. like all this stuff. He had a big collective group of people and usually... Even if we moved, the neighbors that we used to have would just pop up out of nowhere, just get drunk with dad and sleep on the couch and then leave. It was like even from other states, it was so weird, but he kind of gathered people that way and he really wasn't afraid to talk to anybody. No. And uh, I think and that's now he's basically a her- mute. Yeah. He lives alone, doesn't talk to anyone, doesn't. No communicate he communicates well on the phone to me which is surprising because in person i think he's too scared to talk vocalize because he i don't know where he thinks the conversation might lead but i just go in there and i'm super loud like holy shit you're out of paper towels what do you got going on you know i just kind of razz him a bit until he can start a conversation with me yeah well um what i kind of wanted to get at is I'm not going to say our childhood was horrible because no. there are people out there that had friends of mine that I know that I hear their childhoods. And I'm like, oh, my God. Right. Comparatively. But we did have a rough upbringing. And I'm surprised at how successful we both came out of that. I mean, we both are in careers. We both have longevity in our careers. We've stayed in our jobs for a long time. And I know we had mentioned our grandparents as being part of that, that instilled that into us. Is there anything else that you can attribute to your success as an adult getting out of that toxic environment and not repeating those habits and personality traits that we could have just latched on to? Because I also see other friends of mine that I'm like, you're a spitting image of your crappy parent to the T and that's why your life is a mess. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know if there's much to attribute it to other than the generic statement of breaking the cycle somewhere. Like I really felt like I had to try really hard to not be reactive, to have good communication skills. And this didn't come way until my 30s. You know, I've not historically been good at communication. I've not been good with sympathy or empathy. I've not been good with trusting people. I'll always pick a fight with someone I love because the outcome is predictable because I can control exactly what's going to happen because I know how the fight's going to go because I've had those fights before. And it's hard to get into a place in your life where you feel comfortable being yourself, reflecting on the negativity or the trauma that you've had and moving forward and being able to speak about it with grace. Like this is what happened to us. It is the reality of the situation and we blossomed from it, 
But that doesn't mean that some days aren't hard. That doesn't mean that some days when I leave dads, I'm not resentful because I still am full of resentment. But I've just allowed myself to know that this is the story and I can't control the narrative. And however bad I want to control the situation, I can't. So I think attributing factors to success is more me just wanting to be better for myself and my chosen family and the people that I love and respect because family isn't always the people that gave you DNA. We do have and have had great parents at some point in our life. I have an amazing mom now and it took me well into adulthood for us to create the bond that we have now and I wouldn't change it for anything. But on the flip side of that, I thought that I had an amazing relationship with our dad and now it's whittled down to caretaking Mm -hmm. and it's not, not caretaking out of want. It's caretaking out of necessity. It's caretaking because if I didn't, no one would. And that's a sad reality for them. And so You know, I think the contributing factor is just wanting to be better for other people and realize that when you have when you're a giver, you want to align yourself with people who have the same mentality and not people who can take from you all the time. Yeah, I think you've had to be super reactive with our father in that caretaking aspect where I kind of got at my wits end because for the longest time I was super proactive. I was trying to get him on these right steps, trying to get him out doing things, be, uh, have his health at the forefront and things of that nature. And I just watched all that fail. And I got to this point where I was super frustrated where I was like, why? Like what I had to come to the realization is you can't make anyone do something. Right. And you got to just let them live their life and their story. Whether you think that's miserable or not, that's, their decision Mm -hmm. and I I don't want to say I washed my hands of it but you definitely came in and have been the more reactive person to his poor choices which I applaud you for because I can't do because I'm just frustrated I mean you help in your own way you coach me through scenarios and conversations you call to check in to see how it's going you're not leading a blind eye to it I know for right now, while you guys aren't participating in an active relationship with each other, that doesn't mean that I feel any more pressure because the pressure was already there. Mm-hmm. And we have a routine that we use that you actually set up and it has been impactful and it has been very helpful for you to start that cycle. And now it's expected and it's hard for me on certain days to hold myself accountable, but this is a promise that I made to you. And that's why I haven't let it go. Cause I didn't make this promise to dad. I made this promise to you that this is what I would do on this day and this time every week. And I do it every week. Yeah. And I had to step away from that. I had a, during the holidays, I remember I just wanted one thing. I was like, I just want you to come over here and have Christmas dinner with me. Because if there's one thing that I, have been super upset about and I look back on uh, like our childhood and it's not to say we didn't have some form of family 
get-togethers around the holiday, but it was very lacking. It wasn't the hallmark family that I wanted the at the dinner table with everyone around enjoying each other's company. It was very lacking. So when I just, this last time was like, I just want a small bit of your time. That's all I want. And when he denied me that, I had to actively say, I have to cut myself out of this for a while because this is yeah. doing more harm than so good. much harm in my mental state that I have to focus on other things. And so I had to remove myself and I'm working on getting to a position to where I can go there and be supportive, but from a sideline instead of trying to direct him and be the coach. And it's okay to be a bystander in that situation because just the interruption in the presence of another person causes enough reactivity in him, even if it is a motivation for five minutes or if he's not motivated at all and just sits there. I go in there and I cause hell. I make noise. I turn the TV down and I start making noise and I start clinking shit together and I make fun of him for me having to do his dishes and I make him walk the trash out with me and I make him walk his dog while I'm there. And it's really hard to see such a rapid decline in his livelihood and his caretaking and his self-worth. And I know he's depressed and I know he's anxious and I know he's really scared for the doctor next week and he has all these own reservations that he's dealing with on his own and I know he feels alone. And so when I go there, I just try to create chaos because number one, he thinks it's funny and it perks up his attitude. Number two, I think it motivates him a little bit to be, why is my daughter calling me an asshole because I haven't taken my garbage out? Mm Mm-hmm. When he gets free garbage pickup at his door every day. Yeah. You got to put the bag outside the door, Mark. And he just can't. That's the minimum. And he can't or he won't. And it's hard realizing that this is what Your his, parent his is. story eventually is. Yeah. Like, this is what it turned out to be. Exactly. When it didn't have to be this way. Yeah. I, I remember two years ago. Uh, me and Lacey had gone over to his house. Maybe it was three years ago. I was I was still drinking at the time, so it had to have been three or more years ago mm-hmm. because I suffered my own addiction problems. Like, I applaud you. You never went down a super dark path in those, and I did. And I there was that those COVID years is when I realized, dude, you got a problem. And in, if you don't stop this, you're going to go down that same path as your father. But I remember being over there and I wasn't drinking at this particular time. Him and Lacey were, but they weren't like belligerently drunk or anything. They were just socially enjoying the social lubricant. And I remember asking him in conversation because I I love deep conversation. And I've always loved and enjoyed his stories because he used to be an excellent storyteller. Mm-hmm. And hearing about his youth. And all the crazy stuff he did, like, I wish he would make a memoir on all that stuff from hitting the train in Ogden and Mm -hmm. getting dragged down to all these crazy parties and people he knew. But I remember I just asked him, what's your biggest regret in life? Mm -hmm. And he said, having you. And that hit me not in a way of like, I hate you, dad. Fuck you. You know, but it also was like for a long time. I would blame myself for his outcome 
because I was like, this guy looks at me yeah. and sees his position because of me and tying himself to my mom. Because I think that's I think where it, it comes that's in. where the comment comes from. And dad is notorious for making inappropriate comments, especially with social lubricant. Mm-hmm. You know, he'll say things to me like, you're worse than both my ex-wives. Well, I'm your daughter and I'll beat your ass. Yeah. Like, you don't get to talk to me that way. You don't get to treat me that way or I won't be here. But he's, you know, they always say that people tell the truth when they're drinking. But it's hard to think that I think dad's dry humor sometimes is misinterpreted. Mm -hmm. And it's unfortunate that he said something like that. But we both have a laundry list of things that he said that he probably shouldn't. Yeah. And... For the longest time, I was in this place of blame of like, I am the reason he is there. But then I had to come to this realization that, dude, if you didn't want to be tied to my mom for 18 or however many years, I think it was like 18 years, 20, 20 years, there is that big D word divorce. You could have gotten a divorce and just moved on and I could have been in your life in a totally different way. Yeah. Child support, whatever. You didn't have to tie yourself to my mom. So your regret is tied to your inaction and your inability to look at your options because I don't care where you're at in life. There's always multiple options. It's not just one. You have multiple options. And he chose to stay on one for reasons we'll probably never even get out of him now because his capability of deep conversation isn't there anymore. Right. But that, that affected me in a way. And when I hear a lot of, I, cause I openly tell everybody this story and they're like, Oh, I fucking hate my dad. Or yeah. I can't believe he said that. Or weren't you so mad? I was like, no, cause that's how he feels. And you also know the source of the comment mm-hmm. and the, the content of that person's character, especially when inebriated. Yeah. The comment made, although shitty, I mean, you could chalk it up to the other thousand times dad said something inappropriate in mixed company or to his kids or any of his girlfriends or partners or wives. It just is. That's just who he is. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's shitty, but I'm glad you finally came to the realization that him saying a comment like that had nothing to do with you and everything to do with the circumstance he put himself in. Yeah. No, and I I had to do that. I had to take tons of long walks with deep thought. And that's because that's like my way of therapy, whereas during I, I call them the COVID years, my dark drinking years. I would get off work on Friday, go grab a bottle and just drown that stuff out. Make it quiet. Yeah. And then when you stop drinking and relying on substances to mask problems, they really come to the forefront and you have to deal with them. And so I've had to deal with that over the years. And it's sad that at 33... I, he always like pressured me to have kids. When are you going to have kids? When are you going to have kids? He gave me those same pressures too. And I'm like, 
if I would have had kids, you would have been an absent grandfather. So yeah, and we can't always think back of if we would have procreated and had children back then, would that have changed any type of character that he has? I don't think it would have, honestly. I mean, maybe, but I really, I don't know, you know, and that brings me to my next question. You had to go undergo a medical procedure, the hysterectomy in your early 20s? Late 20s. Late 20s. 29. So you, after that, weren't capable of having children anymore. Was there ever a point in your life where you wanted kids? No. You've never felt the need for children? I've never felt the urge to be a mom. I've never felt the urge to procreate. I've never felt the urge to make someone's life take a priority over mine. And then I'm in a relationship now with someone who has a beautiful daughter who I would do anything for. And every day I surprise myself. Really? I didn't think I was capable. Of being a parent? I didn't think I was capable of setting a good example or not being reactive or communicating at a level that a young child can understand or being patient. I'm not a very patient person. And all of those things were not in my skill set. And it's taken a lot of time and a lot of me starting arguments with my partner because the outcome is predictable when they are just saying, she's three, she's four, she's five. For me to realize this isn't temporary, she is very permanent for me. Mm -hmm. And it's surprising how much I never wanted to actually have kids to turn the token over and get what I would call a bonus kid that I never intended on having at any time. And she's kind of exactly what I needed. That's cool. She's wild and I love it. But I never wanted to actually have kids myself. And that was just because you didn't want to put someone before your own. I didn't think I could put someone before my own needs. And I'd always been told that I didn't have mothering qualities or I I didn't have what it took to be a mom, you know, short-tempered and reactive and not very good at communication. And I just never was the ideal partner to have a child with, nor was I a partner who wanted one. Mm-hmm. And I was, I've been told that I would have been a horrible parent. And so it's hard it's not hard to think back and think of all the reasons why I didn't have a kid because not having a kid was the right answer. But now being in my late thirties and helping raise a child is really changed my life. Yeah. I, I think one of the reasons I never had children up to this point um, also stems from that very thing you said. Like I've always said, I'm too selfish to have a child. I'm too think about I'm always thinking about what about me what about me so to put someone before myself because that's what you have to do when you have a child yeah it's always been a scary quality or not scary quality scary thought and I always think about like man would I screw that up so bad and create a replica scenario for a child but 
coming into my mid thirties, I'm like, I don't see that. I think I've learned enough over the years that if being a father does come in the cards for me sometime in the future, I actually think I would be a good dad. I guarantee you would be a great dad. Just at this point in my life, I am still not ready for it. And it's not any more out of the um, selfish qualities that are presented in my brain or the financial things. It's just the fear of the unknown, I think, right now for me. Yeah, I I can't, you know, I can't explain what it is like to have a child and start from the beginning and go through all those first steps and first scares and first, but I am experiencing some first, like first tooth fairy, mm-hmm. first day of school, first dance recital. And those are all things that take a lot of time out of all of her parents' schedule because she does have a big family and a, a lot of great parents and having to put all that in the beginning of your schedule before anything else does take a lot of work, but I, I definitely think that you're at a point in your life where although all that unknown stuff is scary, that you have the capability to be a great dad. Yeah. I, I look at people out there that are having kids and I'm like, you could do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I've, I've seen you change so much over the years. God, I've seen you go from a male relationship to a female relationship back to a male relationship, which is wild. I blows my mind sometimes. I'm like, what are you, Candace? Are you gay, straight or whatever? But there's something that you said that's always resonated with me that you don't love the sex. You love the person. Yeah. And I think that's very important in life is just finding that person that you connect with. Right. And although you and I have both had failed relationships, I think every one of our relationships have come for reasons, taught us things that we've brought into other relationships. And instead of repeating bad cycles, we've learned from the bad cycles to improve. And recently with you becoming basically a stepmom, I've seen your personality and everything change yet again. And it's been very amazing to watch you take those steps. Thank you. And become that more well-rounded, not as impatient person. Cause I've seen you do this and I've also seen how you like treat your animals and things. You are a very nurturing, not nurturing, nurturing person. Yeah. And I think you're doing a great job at it. I appreciate that. But we're at an hour and 26 minutes. This conversation's flown by. We killed it. (laughs) So um, takeaways from this conversation, people are, you know, reflect on your childhoods. Break that cycle if you do have that toxic cycle. And just be that good person that everyone has the ability to be. I do have one last question for you. Okay. Do you ever want to reach out to that brother that we both have that we've never met? Yeah, let's do it. I don't know that I want to. (laughs) (laughs) I'll do whatever you want to do. Have you ever had that? I don't. I've never had the need or want to. I'm sure he's in his 50s and successful and has a family and that family might have kids too. And he might be a grandpa and he might. I mean, because he would be how old now? He would be late 40s, early 50s. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, he would be 50. Yeah, because dad had him super young. 17. Yeah, 17. So, so he would be 50. Yeah, 50 years old. It's, it's strange. It doesn't bother me either way. I have a sister that was adopted out who I do know. And I feel like I don't know what it's on to be on her side and be introduced to a family that you didn't know you had or that you knew you had that you didn't have a relationship with until you were an adult. But things like that change people. And it doesn't bother me knowing or not knowing because up until now, we didn't know. Mm-hmm. So it, do- it doesn't bother me either way. I've never honestly thought about it unless you brought it up in a topic. Yeah, I learned about it when I was 16. My mom used it as like a gotcha to my dad. Why don't you tell him about his brother that he doesn't know he has? Yeah. And I think. And you didn't tell me until like five years ago. Dad had a stroke. And then you were like, do you know we have a brother? I was like, what the fuck is going? I didn't know you didn't know. I didn't know until into my 30s. Wow. And you were the one that told me. I thought you knew this whole time. I thought you knew before me. (laughs) Absolutely not. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't have our name. He doesn't. He doesn't have any. I had no idea until you were like, dad told me never to tell you after I told him that I knew. That's right. And I was 32 and you were like, we have a brother, man. And we were sitting at dad's apartment right after he got it. And dad didn't say anything. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no fucking way, man. You were like, yeah, we have a brother. He's like in his late 40s. Yeah, I yeah, I don't care either way. I, I don't either. I remember. Blood doesn't define family to me, and I know it doesn't define it to you either. And so it it really doesn't bother me one way or another. I'm sure he's great and has a family and is successful and has kids and maybe grandkids and or is living ter- his life. Or he's a terrible serial killer. That or <laughs> a Netflix or documentary. <laughs> a Netflix documentary is coming <laughs> where they find his long lost siblings. Oh my god! And they're knocking on our that? door. <laughs> Yeah, I'd I'd answer the door and be like, go interview his dad. See what you get out of that conversation. I think one day I might, it's not even get the courage, but get more the interest to reach out and try and, because I would have to reach out to people who know the name of the girl and all that. Yeah. I asked dad once, um, but he gave me the name, but it just, in a sense, I've lost it. That was half a life ago. Yeah. It's a secret to hold for a long time. You used that phrase not long ago. You used something along those lines that really clicked to me that that half a life ago or mm-hmm. whatever. You, we were talking about age. Yeah. And I can't remember how. We were talking about tattoos. Yeah. And, you and were like, we were talking um, about how some people have shitty tattoos. And I said, yeah, I have shitty tattoos. They were from half a life ago because yeah. it's true. That's insane. More than half a life ago, <laughs> 17 to 37, a yeah. tattoo is older than this first half of my life. Wow. That's, ama- that's amazing how time is just this continuing thing that does not slow down. And like you look back on the past and you're like, wow, that was a while ago. Yeah, it's hard when we sit here and we conversate about our childhood and telling these stories. We had, That was very much three quarters of our life ago, mm-hmm. half our life ago. And it's hard to put it into that kind of perspective when you're thinking half a life ago, what's half a life from now. Do you ever worry about that? Like, cause I don't fear aging, but I have thought like, wow, 33 years went by fast. Pretty soon I'm going to be 66. Yeah. And I'm like, where am I going to be? What is, what is my life going to be? And I, um, 
God, what it, I, I finished the last Harry Potter book today mm-hmm. and they're seeing their kids off on the Hogwarts Express. Way to ruin it for me. I watched Harry Potter <laughs> oh, one last night. Oh, no. Spoiler alert. <laughs> the kids go to the school. Who knew? But I was like literally doing math of like Harry, Ron, and Hermione and like their ages. <laughs> How and stuff. old and like, famous oh, they are. Yeah. I was yeah. like, holy cow. And I look at like characters that we grew up through like childhood, childhood actors and stuff. And I see them now. And I'm like, holy cow, this is... Time needs to slow down somehow. When Leonardo DiCaprio was so young in the Titanic and he was like your favorite and now he's in Flowers of the Moon or whatever and he looks like he's 50. Yeah. Because the reality is he is. You want a movie that will screw with your perceptions of time. You go watch that uh, Interstellar movie and it's just Okay, I'll watch it. Oh my God. What? Like, (laughs) it's a very complex movie. Mm Mm-hmm. But it's very good. I don't believe your IQ is 88 if you can watch complex movies. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's probably even got deeper meaning that just yeah. I'm just skimming the surface <laughs> with it. Uh, on that note, um, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. As I end these, always be happy, humble, and humorous and be kind to each other out there. Thank you, Candace, for having this uh, conversation on our childhood. And, no problem. Uh, we'll catch you guys on the next one. See ya. See ya.